I, I feel confident in saying that uh, after after this experience, there's going to be a greater appreciation for the blessing it is to gather together. And uh, and I think there's a longing, a yearning for us to uh, to be together again. And uh, and so I think uh, I, I think I hope that's going to be a a good outcome uh, of this greater appreciation for, for just what that that uh, incarnational communion uh, means and, and how easily we can take it for granted. Let's be honest. Talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. This is Matt Burford. It is a joy and a pleasure to be with you. It's actually morning for me. I usually do my podcast at night, but I have a rare opportunity um, to get and amass some of my favorite people uh, that I had an opportunity to be around. Uh, One of these gentlemen, of course, I've known for a long time, uh, but these other guys that I met around 2014 when I was doing my uh, doctoral work at Beeson Divinity School, uh, I got to meet um, um, some gentlemen who who are so incredible. Uh, each and every one of them brings something very unique to the table. They're all pastors. Uh, they're all teacher preachers. Uh, they uh, they now all have their doctorate. Very very impressive people. And I've asked them to come along at this very unique and strange and odd time that we're living in under COVID nineteen to think about the church. Uh, to think about what is the church going to have to think about in the coming days, weeks, months, and even years as we uh, try to grapple with this crisis of a pandemic. Uh, I'm going to spend a, a few moments just introing who's here. Uh, I usually only have one or two people on a podcast, but today it's going to be, you know, four or five. And um, I'm telling you, you're going to be massively blessed by what these guys bring to the table. I have uh, Dr. Kyle McClellan. Uh, He's from Grace Church, PCA, Fremont, Nebraska. Uh, We probably will have Joel Busby, who's from Grace Fellowship. He's a lead pastor from Homewood. Uh, We have Dr. Calvin Bell from Bethel Baptist Church in Bessemer, Alabama. We have Dr. Thomas Fuller. Uh, He's the Associate Dean of Beeson Divinity School. And lastly, we have Dr. Cameron Dahl. Faith Community Church in Gambrels, Maryland, who's also the worship pastor. Hey, thank you all for coming on. Thank you, Matt. Hey, I'm going to start first with Kyle, and then we're going to move there, and you guys come in and out uh, as you see fit. Um, Kyle, first of all, what caught you? I know Nebraska is a little different kind of state than most of us uh, living in the South, especially in Alabama, because you guys are not in shelter in place. You have different dynamics, different population densities, um, but you know people that have, have gone through this. You're watching this, uh, of course, like the rest of us are. Uh, tell me what caught you by surprise as a pastor during this crisis. Well, the biggest thing is a Nebraskan that's been a shock and caused days of mourning and prayer is that Nebraska football canceled their spring game, <laughs> which sells out every year, and so that was our day of mourning and 
weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, it's been interesting. I think one of the things that we've noted in our state, a uh, notorious flyover state, is uh, it's not a, there shouldn't be, or there, there isn't, I don't think, a one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with COVID-19. Uh, we don't have a shelter at place uh, order in effect here. Now we do in the counties that have Lincoln and Omaha because those are counties that have some kind of population density. But the rest of us, you know, we don't we don't necessarily need it. I mean, we we practice we practice social distancing all the time in Nebraska, and it's just kind of a way of life for us. But there is a definite economic impact. Uh, have, do you guys, have you seen any kind of hoarding or anything in your local stores or? Uh, no, not, not as much as I think people have, have seen it other places. Uh, you know, uh, toilet paper is hard to find. And I think some of those, there's a little bit of that going on in Omaha and Lincoln. Uh, but for the most part, you know, folks, folks out here are still kind of self-sufficient and we don't get fired up about too much. Uh, except, as I've said, the canceling of the Nebraska spring game. <laughs> yeah, we know how that feels here in the, in the South, especially. Well, what about you, uh, Dr. Fuller? What, as the Associate Dean of Beeson Divinity School, you, of course, you've, you've held multiple hats. You've been a pastor. Uh, you, you're now you're a professor. You teach. You lead. Uh, you're now part of organizing the Divinity School again as the Associate Dean. What are some of the things that have caught you by surprise during this whole crisis? I've been hearing from some pastors, in fact, was part of a Zoom meeting uh, just a day or two ago uh, with a group, and um, hearing, uh, I won't call it anxiety, but uh, a lot of questions and um, speculations about what church is going to look like, what culture is going to look like. Uh, on the other side of this. Um, I, I heard the statement made that this is, uh, you know, church is never going to be exactly the same again, that uh, this is going to change everything. Uh, and and I'm, I'm interested and curious, uh, like uh, everyone, to, to see what uh, sort of the implications and, and residue of this whole event is in the life of the the church it, it, i think it's too early yet to be saying it, it's going to look this way and be different in that way um in an enduring fashion but the the thing that that strikes me the most is the need for us to to not just jump right back into business as usual when when the all clear is sounded whatever that that looks like and uh, to really uh, take some time to pause give thanks and take stock of, of the ways in which uh, the Lord has worked in our midst and through this and uh, what things we need to, to learn from it both for the sake of being prepared for the same or other similar crises in in the future uh, but also I think uh, to take stock uh, spiritually and uh, ecclesially of what, uh, who and uh, who we are and, and how we should uh, relate to one another from the things the Lord has 
has shown us through this time. In other words, I think we need to take some time to reflect uh, and not just jump right back into uh, uh, our, our busyness again. And, and I, that's what I hope for anyway. Yeah, I find that uh, really interesting for somebody that's, that's looked to from the Alabama Baptist perspective as the quote unquote apologetic guy. Um, I've been, you know, hit with a bunch of emails about, you know, give, give us some, give us some apologetic reasoning. This, these are pastors, uh, help us guide us through how do we speak to our congregation about why did God allow this? And I've come to terms with what you just said. Uh, maybe we just need to lament. Maybe we just need to pause. Uh, maybe this is a time where we don't have an answer and we're never given an answer. Um, we're really, really quick to want this crisis to be, uh, to be over. Uh, the way that people are talking, it's like May 1st. And, you know, our governor here said yesterday in a press conference that May 1st is when she wants things to start back up. Um, and then I was reminded by somebody the other day in our office that, you know, people like to give during crisis. You know, we're not having a real bad problem right now with churches giving because uh, church Christians like to give during a crisis. But my question back to the person was, yeah, but this crisis is not like 9-11. This might be like more like the Great Depression, meaning, you know, it, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, we, we tend to want you, typical Christians in America. We, we want the crisis here and then we want it over with. Um, but Dr. Bell, you come in for a second. Um, let, um, Dr. Fuller talked about, you know, taking our time and, and, and thinking about this issue. How is your community and your church dealing with this? And so Dr. Burford, um, uh, here in the in the uh, Bessemer area, um, I think one of the things that have caught uh, me by surprise is the number of older pastors, African American pastors, who are refusing to uh, close their churches. As a matter of fact, there have been a couple where the the uh, police have had to actually go into their services and. Uh, and and uh, just uh, disband them. Say so, you know your service had must end and must end, must ends end now. Um, and so um, I, I, after I did some researching and had conversation with some of those older pastors in the community, as trying to find out you know why is it that you were refusing to uh, obey a direct mandate uh, from um, the local health department uh, as well as you know state as well as in federal government. And so what I what I learned from them is that. Uh, they were very much offended because the church uh, is being deemed non-essential and Walmart is essential and, and other gun stores are, are essential, but, but the church is uh, non-essential. And so in their minds, they were hearing that, okay, well, Jesus is non-essential. Uh, and so that, that, is, that is, has been a major problem uh, in our community. And, I, and the surprise is that the older pastors were the, are the ones that are, are doing this and the younger pastors are more uh, they're more apt to comply with with the uh, the mandate that came through the CDC uh, and so that that that's been kind of a shock way you, you all have been looking at the, the media and the news you you've seen uh, uh, how this uh, COVID-19 has directly affected the African-American community around the United States in just in, in uh, just massive ways uh, and so you know with all of the, the health disparities high blood pressure uh, heart disease, cancer, et cetera. Uh, and so uh, our community is being just ravaged by uh, this COVID-19 and 
and the church, you know, for, you know, what I was trying, what I've been trying to explain to the older pastors is that the church is just, it's, it's a magnet of, uh, to just kind of help to, 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 uh, make this thing spread even further. So we're, you know, in Walmart, people are not loving on each other and hugging on each other, but in the church, we're sitting next to each other. So it's, it's, it's uh, very important that, that uh, we as African-American pastors work hard to communicate to our parishioners uh, that it's important to stay home. Um, and so that, that, that's probably one of the things that's, that's caught me most by surprise uh, in, in during this time. So uh, uh, there's a guy that, that, that uh, leads our office who's a big wordsmith, and he says, you know, he doesn't like the idea of essential, non-essential. He mm-hmm. likes the idea of exempt and non-exempt because uh, everything's essential, right? Everybody's job is essential. <laughs> I mean, especially essential in terms of being able to, you know, put food on the table. Uh, but the, yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring, now I want to bring in uh, Dr. Cameron. Cameron, you're, you're more than a, just a worship pastor, but that's, that's your experience and your background. Uh, what does that uh, play a little bit on, on what um, Dr. Bell just said about this natural desire for us as Christians to want to get together uh, incarnationally, you know, this, this whole idea of, of zoom and, and Facebook and social media being a big part of our worship. Um, how are you dealing with that aspect and how are you thinking through having worship without being with each other? It's mm, good. It's been a challenge of course, and uh, sort of piggybacking a little bit on the idea of who's essential and who's not essential in Maryland, uh, our governor said that churches are non-essential in terms of gathering with 100 people on Sunday morning, but that it was, we were allowed to gather in small groups in order to provide online services. So my praise teams have continued to meet, uh, but we're, uh, the first Sunday we aired, people were commenting, you're not six feet apart. And so now we're meeting and making sure that when we're being filmed, we're six feet apart. But another thing that came into our conversation was what is our perception in the community and that we didn't want to be perceived as uh, just thumbing our nose at the governor and as a cause of the spread of the virus. So we're not only trying to be safe, but we're also trying to protect the image of the church in the community with with what we are doing. But in terms of actually the incarnational part of worship, uh, we have struggled Just yesterday, I was on a meeting with some of our deacons and and elders uh, talking about the implications. And one of the deacons said, he said, I'm I'm in so many Zoom meetings that people, uh, I'm hearing them become weary of Zoom meetings because it's not getting to see one another. It's not getting to to smile, to to notice um, just some of your body. Uh, movements and, and the, the way that we communicate with our facial expressions in the same way. Um, and then we began talking about communion uh, and that we have, we have made the decision so far not to have virtual communion, but then someone brought up, even when we get back together in the new church, people might not be interested right away to pass a plate down the, the aisle where we're touching everybody again. Uh, they might not be interested in having communion in the same way. Um, so as Dr. Fuller was saying, when we get back together, there's still going to be some reflection. And we're also anticipating that as we get back together, it might be incremental, that it might be, well, we can now gather, but in no groups larger than 50 or no groups larger than a hundred. And that 
when we have worship services, they might still be encouraging social distancing. So we can have a hundred people, but you need to have a chair in between every person. Uh, so those are some interesting things that we're dealing with, trying to figure out how to do church right now and then how church is going to look. I want to bring you in, Kyle, because in the PCA church, of course, communion is, 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 is looked at a little bit different, of course, than the, than the Baptist church. Um, in has little I w- the same significance, but it's looked at differently. Um, w- help us here. Help help church. Help pastors who might be listening to this. What what are how are ways that we can navigate? Just let's just say we have, you know, five or six months where we're cl- we're slowly opening things back up. Uh, I'll be honest with you. When I go out now to the grocery store, if I see somebody else, I I naturally now in default think, oh man. I, I really don't want to get next to this person or this person or this person. Uh, those, if I'm thinking that way, I'm thinking most people in churches are going to have that, that, that kind of default attitude. Um, as a pastor, how would you help kind of lead your flock to think in terms of being uh, protecting yourself from, from a pandemic, but also wanting to embrace each other as a brother and sister in Christ? Well, let me start by saying, I think the impulse to not do virtual communion is the right one. Uh, Within our denomination several years ago, uh, there was an actual case that was brought before the PCA. And one of the things they noted was, if you look at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, five times in that text, Paul uses the phrase, and when you gather. Hmm. So the very clear implication is that communion is not something individuals do in their home by themselves, but rather it's something that is uh, the privilege of God's people as they are gathered together with the word. So we would hold in our tradition that word and sacrament go together. Um, I would also say, I think that this is a really good argument for using wine and not grape juice when you take the Lord's Supper, right? I mean, the wine, the alcohol in the wine kills whatever's going on, man. So don't just don't worry about it right? Just make sure it's Mogan David and you're, you're good to go, right? Uh, so we, we've used uh, Two Buck Chuck for 10 years and uh, nobody's ever gotten the flu or gotten sick or anything. Uh, I, I think it raises some interesting questions. Um, I think that it's going to be an interesting time. And one of the things that I hope, uh, Dr. Fuller brought up a great point, that church is not going to be the same again. I hope that one of the things that comes out of this, and by hope I mean I'm prayerfully expectant, that we will leave aside the light shows and the entertainment and get back to word, prayer, and sacrament. That we'll get back to kind of the ordinary means of grace as being the driving force uh, that kind of animates the people of God when they gather together. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't mean that by any disrespect to, to, to Cameron and worship guys, and, and, but I, I think at that point, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just convinced again of the sufficiency of the ordinary means of grace. And so I think one of the wonderful opportunities we're going to have is I think there will be some really interesting catechetical opportunities that are going to be presented in the church. Um, 
I think this idea of being a faithful presence of uh, Paul talks about, you know, why does he want to go to Rome? He wants to go to Rome because there are gifts that he wants to impart that he thinks he can only do face to face. And so I hope that we're going to have those kinds of conversations. But we're starting to talk about, we, we normally come and uh, we, we practice intention, which in the PCA is a somewhat, uh, you know, we're not exactly telling the line there, uh, but we, it's otherwise known as rip and dip. And, you know, germaphobes have a hard time with it, which again, if you're using wine, don't sweat it. Uh, but we're having to think through, how do we do that? Is this going to change the way in which we actually observe the actual sort of physical observance of how do we get the elements to people? Uh, right now we have folks come forward that'll probably continue. Uh, but I would imagine that when people come forward, it'll look a little different uh, than it did pre, um, pre-COVID-19. What do you think, Dr. Fuller, in terms of, of, of hesitation, um, the, this idea of, of us, I mean, we're naturally created to want to be with each other. Um, what do you, how do you talk, what are you going to do to talk to pastors to help in, in, in even future pastors in the seminary uh, think through a crisis like this uh, to find a happy medium, a, a, a wisdom model of, of thinking about the people in your congregation? Because now we're thinking in terms of the post-COVID world. Uh, who knows when that'll be a, a year from now? You know, we're still in the meat of this whole thing, probably even at the very beginning of this thing. Uh, but but Beeson has had this kind of promotion over the last decade or so about incarnational education, uh, the importance of being together, the importance of moving along together as disciples of Christ as we learn together. Um, that's important for a place like Beeson. But now you're going to have students come in, future pastors and leaders uh, that are going to be affected by what we're going through. So what are ways that we can think about helping the, not only lay people, but leaders think about um, the incarnational aspect post-COVID? I, I feel confident in saying that uh, after, after this experience, there's going to be a greater appreciation for the blessing it is to gather together. And, uh, and I think there's a longing, a yearning for us to, uh, to be together again. And, uh, and so I think, uh, I, I think, I hope that's going to be a, a good outcome uh, of this greater appreciation for, for, for just what that, that uh, incarnational communion uh, means and, and how easily we can take it for granted. Uh, but uh, I think also Kyle made reference to uh, Paul writing to the church at Rome and, and in other, uh, other of his letters uh, talking about his uh, hope as, for instance, to the Philippians of, of wanting to come and be with you and uh, the plans he had. Uh, and, and yet, you know, he makes that turn, I believe, in 127 to uh, whatever happens. Uh, uh, you know, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, and so recognizing that, that we, you know, live uh, in a world racked by sin. We live in a world where uh, gathering together incarnationally is not always possible. Uh, and yet even like in uh, so many of the Psalms of Ascension or of Ascent that uh, 
that, that joy at being able to go into the house of the Lord, gather with the people in, in worship, uh, to enjoy the blessings of, of that kind of uh, uh, physical communion uh, together is, is undeniable. And it's something that we, uh, we should, uh, uh, should cherish. But uh, I hope from this too, that we recognize that the bond that, uh, that ties us together, that binds us is uh, something uh, uh, beyond and transcending that, that physical communion. Uh, that in across time and space that we we have this fellowship with one another in Christ, uh, regardless of circumstances and and other things. And so I think that's one more of those ways, uh, as, as Kyle also mentioned about the catechetical opportunity that there is uh, uh, in this time and beyond to to help people think more deeply about what it means to be church, what it means to be together in Christ, what it what Christian unity is about. Uh, and um, and that, that the Lord will use that as I, I trust and believe He will to uh, to help grow us and and to build our our understanding more maturely of of who we are as the body of Christ. So now I have an opportunity. Matt, to break. if I can, I think something Dr. Fuller said is really crucial, which is, do our people actually know the difference between the church visible and the church invisible? Because mm. I think that's a really helpful category that if your folks don't have that, um, they're, they're struggling. I, I think they're going to struggle even more so hmm. with trying to think through, okay, well, maybe it wasn't so bad that I couldn't get to church to be with people. So why, you know, if they're just going to put it on, on the internet, why would I want to mess with trying to show up and, and be gathered with people? Hmm. Yeah, so Joel, you, you're you're on now. We're we're in this discussion of of not only what caught us by surprise, but now we've moved over into a discussion of about what does it mean to be together as a church. And and I'd also made the note of saying when we go out now, the now that it's been hammered in our skull about six feet apart and social distancing and all this kind of language. Uh, one of the things we have to think about now is that's the default that people are bringing to the table when we do start going back to church. Um, but, you know, so how do we, how do we help lead? And this is something important I, I think that you can bring to the table too at Grace Fellowships is because you, you're a relationship person first. I mean, I, I've known you for a while now. Uh, relationships are important to you. Um, how are you thinking about navigating and leading your people to start uh, not putting walls up the minute you see a stranger. <laughs> you want to be careful and you want to use wisdom, but at the same time, um, these these pandemics bring out sometimes the worst in us. And one of those, which is a natural desire to defend ourselves and our families against something that's unknown, um, but you don't want to block yourself off from your brother and sister in, uh, and in, in Christ and in, an opportunity to bring those that are not in the fold, um, you know, as well, because we're putting up these barriers between each other. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something that at our church we've been really trying to think critically about, you know, on the one hand, the Christian life is a life of dying to oneself. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together talks about how, you know, one of the main things God will do in Christian community is to bring you all sorts of interruptions and disruptions from what you plan to do. And those disruptions and interruptions actually come in the form of people. 
And that's actually one of the most important things that, that the Lord does in Christian community is really uh, your, your walled off sense of self becomes more porous and, uh, and people get in your space. And that's, that's actually part of what the promise of a church community is. Now, on the other hand, one of the things we've talked about around our church is how do we promote unity? How do we make sure we don't uh, create divisions in our church from sort of the, you know, the immunosuppressed people are super, super nervous. The rest of us are kind of free and footloose and fancy free. Or the scaredy cats among us don't want to sit near anybody. Mm-hmm. But the people who are trusting the Lord are just going about business like normal. And we've already just seen those kind of divisions creep up. I mean, there are people in our church family that, that don't want to you know, pull their car out of their driveway for you know, either misplaced or well-placed fears, given their circumstances. And there's even a, there can be a tone of, well, look at those scaredy cat people who just don't trust the Lord. I mean, so I think, I think that's the tension that church leaders have to negotiate is, is how do we just understand that having people in your business is church life? But on the other hand, how do we promote unity as we move forward um, and allow some common sense measures to, to, um, to be a support to folks whose consciences maybe are pricked in a different way. What do you think? What do you think, Dr. Bell? Well, so my, my community is a very unique community, um, Dr. Burford. So African-American people uh, are numb to say coronavirus, COVID-19. And it's, uh, by and large, due to um, um, the history of us, our history as Americans, um, slavery, uh, lynchings, and and uh, you know in the fifties and the sixties, um, um, today even black on black murders in our community they are just off the chart. Fifty percent of all African American murders, black on black murders, go unsolved, uh, and so. Uh, with that, uh, you have uh, just uh, this numbness to uh, say that the, the coronavirus, and so us not coming together, uh, us 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 being in, in a common space uh, is not so much as nerve wracking to us is probably most people. Now there are, as Joel said, the scared scared of cats, and they are few and far in between. Um, you know, when you look at you know what the number of lives that are taken from. Uh, uh, black people that are that are lives are taking high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, and so forth, so on, just not having uh, that high quality of health care, whatever. So, so death, it, we, it, it surrounds us, um, and mm-hmm. so so the, the fear of staying away from each other is just really not a reality uh, uh, for mo- for the majority of us. And so, uh, I think that's also in. Uh, one of the problems that's adding to uh, the rates of death that's taking place in the African American community. When we first heard about uh, COVID nineteen, the coronavirus, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just another uh, uh, situation in the life of, of our community. So why, why we should, should we be afraid of that? Gosh, when you work out the numbers of the number of black men that are murdered by one another in America over the course of the year, well, coronavirus is only scratching the surface as to that. Yeah. So, so, so 
So I, I don't think that we've even gotten to the place where we are thinking about, okay, once we come back together as a church, you know, uh, how, how are we going to deal with being scattered? You know, that's just, that's just not our greatest concern. It should be uh, as we're looking at this pandemic for sure. Uh, but but um, I think we're just in a different place as a, as a people. And, and, and Calvin Bell as a pastor, I'm having to grapple with, you know, I was, I was, as a matter of fact, I was having a discussion with my wife, Shanetta, on uh, last evening about it. So when the government, when the governor lifts uh, the, the ban of the, uh, so that we uh, can begin to come back together, whether it's, you know, incremental in uh, uh, groups of 50, et cetera, uh, we get, uh, when we're asked to come back to the church, you know, what should, what should my response be as a pastor? Should, should I uh, uh, actually use caution? Because again, the way this thing is spread within our community, should I use caution and, and, and probably prolong the process and say, hey, let's stay out a little bit longer just to make sure uh, that this thing doesn't uh, uh, you know, uh, turn back on us and, and begin to be, be a bit more aggressive in our community than it was before. Hmm. Yeah. Cameron, what do you think? Uh, I think it is a, definitely a challenge, and uh, we have those in our church. We have one family who's social distancing in their house, um, and then my stepdad and, and mom uh, live a couple hours from here, and she said he's going around their house disinfecting things, and she's like, we're the only people here. Why are you disinfecting things every day? Um, so there's, there's a lot of unknowns, and, and people... Are, are afraid of that. But the other side of that is uh, there are opportunities that we've had. Um, again, my praise teams are still coming to the church to record. And there is, uh, as Dr. Fuller said earlier, I think there's a hunger to be with people, even at six feet apart or eight feet apart. Um, and uh, those opportunities, uh, I think, are going to be there and helping people navigate that as we get back together is going to be a challenge, but uh, I do think there's going to be such a hunger and such a longing to see one another, but maybe not hug one another. Not yet. <laughs> right hand of fellowship and the Holy kiss might need to be off the table for a little while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's interesting. So Dr. Fuller, what does that mean? What are some protocols? I mean, are y'all thinking about that even at, at Beeson for, for when this, lifts eventually, whether it's, you know, months from now or even a year from now when we get a vaccine. I mean, what are some protocols for pastors and leaders to think about um, as they navigate these things? Because as um, Dr. Bell is showing us, you know, there's, you know, there's cultures who, uh, like the African-American culture, they're, you know, they're naturally relationship oriented. They embrace each other. Uh, you, you don't want to tell your church, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just seems to me that if I entered a church and the, and the pastor had rules of, and regulations on how we're supposed to act with each other, it seems like at first thought that it would take away some from the worship experience. So how would you go about, go about helping pastors create protocols for coming back? Well, I hope and, and trust that the uh, CDC and, and other uh, authorities will give us some some guidelines uh, for that to begin with, and 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 not just say, okay, uh, shelter in place is lifted, everybody, uh, as you were, and uh, but that you know there will be some counsel given for how we might just use a good sense to uh, ease back into this. And, you know, as, as has already been noted, there are going to be people who just because of their, their own particular 
concerns and anxieties won't, you know, uh, will sort of practice that without being told. So uh, th this is going to be an adjustment coming back together and, and needs to be an adjustment coming back together. And, and I think in the same way that we uh, had to frame, uh, I think, thoughtful pastors probably um, uh, had to, to give thought to how to frame the whole matter of us not meeting together. Uh, when that began, uh, there's going to need to be some more of that kind of guidance pastorally given uh, that, that the same uh, biblical rationale of, of, you know, loving your neighbor, uh, loving one another, and, and in this case, a, a real uh, tangible form of that love is staying six feet <laughs> apart from them uh, and uh, wearing a mask and, and and so forth, and so uh, that that same uh, loving disposition, I think, coming back together will say, let's just um, ease into this. Let's uh, recognize that yes, there is the very real possibility of, of a resurgence of of the virus, and uh, and we've all become now uh, acclimated to not. Uh, just being shoulder to shoulder, and let's uh, let's just ease back into this and 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 follow the the guidance and counsel that's given us by those who are in uh, science and medicine as to what best practices are, and uh, and I think in a Romans thirteen kind of way too, uh, it's it's submission to the uh, authorities who, in this case, we trust and believe have our best interest at heart, and. Uh, and want to see us move past this as every bit as much as we do and so not kind of creating this Christ against culture or <laughs> uh, whatever kind of uh, dichotomy that's uh, that we live in a different world uh, of faith where uh, we're not susceptible to all the same ills and uh, and effects as, as the rest of, uh, of society is so that's great. So Joel, taking a little bit of that too, how do we think about fear and death and faithful presence? You alluded to it earlier, um, but give us a few short minutes, kind of your thoughts about being faithfully present. And what are some of the things that we can learn, not only as leaders, but as, as lay people? Uh, what, is, what is this coronavirus teaching us about ourselves and what we need to change and adjust. And Kyle alluded to it earlier as well before you came on, but what are some things that we can learn that, that'll help us grow as Christians? Yeah. Um, I, know, I know that as a pastor, you know, I, I minister in a suburban context, um, although I am, you know, 10, 15 minute drive um, from where my brother Calvin is, I, li I really minister in a different world. And um, I live, I live and minister in a world where, and this is going to almost sound funny, like, like when I say it out loud, you might be tempted to laugh. But a lot of my people, a lot of them kind of young, professional, well-to-do people, they actually think they're in control of their own life. <laughs> and I just think as a pastor to uh. people, to people like that, you spend a lot of your time essentially trying to convince people that they're not and that they need to have a dependency, dependency on God. And when you say that, 
the people who've suffered some in the room shake their head at you as if they know what you mean. The people who've not suffered very much shake their head at you, but you can tell they're shaking their head at you from a place of not exactly knowing what you mean. So I think for us, it is just, it's really, you know, I could tell a personal story about one particular person in our church that has been affected by this deeply. Um, but but I, just, I just think more than anything, I think it just shows us how not in control of our lives we really are. And I think that's a really healthy thing for a Christian to learn. I think it's a freeing thing for a Christian to learn. Um, I, I think that, uh, and, I, and I think we're wise to try to continue to, to build upon that. I think we should help people understand in deep ways um, the things that are actually to be feared and the things that don't have to be feared and, and to really think theologically with our people about fear. Um, I, those, those are the things that come to my mind. So, you know, my instincts when, when things normalize a little bit is that we, some of the ways that we've had to depend upon one another, some of the ways in which we haven't been able to just naturally trust the professional clergy, but having to lean on one another, those are things I hope we just maintain. Um, that, that, that's what comes to, comes to my mind, Matt. Man. And, and, and the idea, listen, um, when, before I got my COVID 15 pound belly that I have now from, you know, I need a social distance from my refrigerator, by the way. Um, but I was working out with somebody in January and they, they were a friend of mine. I've known him for two or three years. And I just simply asked him, and this was probably before I went on a trip to Japan, uh, for the international mission board. Um, I asked him, Hey, when's the last time? Cause I know he has three kids and he's really busy. He's very fluent uh, business owner and he has three children. They're all in the high school age or middle school to high school. I said, when's the last time you've had dinner with your kids? Cause I know him and his wife are everywhere. So busy. And he had told me it'd been three and a half years before uh, since him and his wife have sat down with their children. Uh, that's changed. <laughs> that's totally changed. He's no longer going to his business. He's, staying at home he's with his family he's he's doing the job that a, that a husband and a father should do but what what you're telling me joel is just reminding me that that we're we're supposed to be still and and i and i had said before earlier i don't have any answers for what's going on and the thing that's really kind of brought to my attention is not very many people do right now uh the people that we lean on that are that are authorities in their field especially when it comes to um disease and, and pandemics they're at the very beginning of this game and they're trying desperately because to, to figure out a way uh, um, to, to lessen the amount of deaths. Um, but the reality is if you sit still and you reflect, you were, you realize just what you said, very little of this stuff we have control over. Um, you know, very little of these things that we even have knowledge and, and the pursuit of knowledge is really the pursuit of control. And sometimes we don't have that. I mean, what do you think about that, Kyle? I mean, to, to, to think that maybe this is a time for us to, this might be a longer deal yeah. than we're really ready for. So I know Midwest people. You've told me about Midwest people. You're a, you're, you're a, you, I mean, you're a Nebraska guy. Y'all are almost made to, to like, a, like a tortoise to slowly move through this crisis. We're not. <laughs> the people that I, I'm around are not. I prefer more Buffalo. You know, more, okay, bigger, we'll go Buffalo. More, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. A little higher on the food chain. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say I, 
there are a couple things that in our conversation stood out to me. One, I think we have a really unique opportunity moving forward as the church to rediscover truth telling. Mm-hmm. Not spin, not hyperbole. Oh man. Not Jesus is the key to my best life now. But and I'm I'm just I'm struck by something Calvin said when he's talking about the African African American community and said death surrounds us. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Yeah, that's true for all of us. Yep. Like, have you not figured that out? Now it's more palpable in Calvin's community, but you know, we're all it's appointed for a man to die once and then to face judgment. And so I hope that we will rediscover um, the kind of the the both the beauty and the essential nature of the church bearing witness to the truth and speaking of things. Cause I think there's, I, I know my wife and I were talking about this this morning. If uh, one of the things I think that's creating anxiety is, well, who the heck's actually telling you the truth about some of this stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, are the, are the death, are the, the death numbers, are they inflated? Is this, you know, is this a Chinese conspiracy? Is this the media that hates Trump? Is this Trump just being Trump? I mean, what, what, you know, what's, what's going on? Nobody knows. But I think we have a, a really uh, wonderful opportunity moving forward to just rediscover truth telling and rediscover, hey, death surrounds all of us. And uh, you know what? There are, worth, there are worse things than losing your life to COVID-19. Like, there really are. Yeah. Uh, you know, to face an eternity uh, of, of judgment is far worse than death from, from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And man, I hope that we can, I hope that we can rediscover that. I hope that we can stop all the spiel and all the marketing and all the all the fluff and uh get back to um some of the things that we've we've been talking about i also think it's a unique thing one of the things that the church has kind of always i think when it's healthy realized it's supposed to be about is we're always giving a minority report always yeah. Now it's it's a minority report that's in keeping with I hope God's revelation of Himself and His Word. But how about if we how about if we rediscover that as well? That you know we have this we have this very different way to view the world than uh, folks who are concerned with hype and spin and everything else. Mm. And why don't why don't why don't we get back to that? Yeah, let's, so let's give it power. Oh, that is so good. And when Calvin was speaking, I was reminded of, and then when you were just sharing, I was reminded of a poem by T.S. Eliot. And he says this, why should men or women love the church? Why should they love her laws? It's because she tells them of life and death and all that they would forget. She is tender, meaning the church, she is tender where they would be hard. And she is hard where they would like to be soft. 
She, the church, tells them of evil and sin and other unpleasant facts. They constantly try to escape from the darkness outside and within by dreaming of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. But the man that is shallow, but, but, but the man that is will shadow the man that pretends to be. Uh, I, think, I think that is our unique role is to tell the world of evil and sin and other unpleasant facts. Right. And, it, and it's also our role to be tender where they would be hard and to be hard where they would want to be soft. And I think that's, I, I think that, that's been the other real hard thing and the other real challenge is I think because we've all had more than kind of a passing affiliation with, with Beeson, we want to express that tenderness person to person, face to face, because that's like, that's, that's a core value of Beeson Divinity School, yes. right? There is no such thing as virtual ministry. Yeah. Uh, Jesus didn't send a hologram, you know, the, though the, he, could the whole, have. he could have. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea is no, it's face to face. It's person to person. It's life on life. Hmm. And again, Calvin's community has known that for 300 years and we're figuring it out. But I, I think that's been another real challenge is, you know, I, I've realized I'm actually not gaining weight, uh, Burford, I'm losing weight because I'm not having lunch four times a week <laughs> with different people in my congregation. I mean, I realized like I, I eat lunch professionally. That's like the number two thing on my, uh, on my <laughs> I, I, I work uh, in sacrament and then I eat lunch professionally. You, you can't get the my, Baptist out of you though. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. Though being away from Birmingham is helpful. <laughs> Barbecue uh, factor. Oh man, sauce. Uh, I I, uh, I I miss you guys, but I miss you guys at sauce <laughs> even yeah. more. Uh, Matt, uh, could I say uh, just uh, one follow up on that? That uh, there's never a time when uh, when we cease needing to be peacemakers. Uh, needing to be those who give expression to what peace really is. Uh, but I think this is, has been and will continue to be a really acute time of, of uh, the church and the world beyond the church needing to hear uh, the word of peace that comes through the gospel. Um, you know, Jesus in the boat with the disciples uh, on the sea raging and his word of peace that uh, calmed nature, uh, his word of peace then coming after the resurrection into the company of the disciples, you know, locked behind doors and, uh, and fearful and uh, coming in in his presence being that peace, his word to them, his promises to them. And uh, fear, uh, fear has a place but uh, fear reigning is always uh, a bad outcome, and, and it doesn't look good on the church. <laughs> mm. um, and, uh, and beyond concerns for image is, is just the basic uh, question of, of who we are as, as the people to whom Christ has spoken that word of peace, and more than spoken it, has, has made it in his, uh, his death and resurrection. And, and so uh, I think that'll be one more of the, the ways in which we, we can and should really uh, help our people to, to grow through this crisis 
uh, to, to recognize what peace looks like and means for those who are in Christ and how they can also then bear witness to that peace to the unbelieving world uh, in their communities and, and beyond. Dr. Burford, I am hoping that on the other side of this uh, COVID-19 crisis pandemic um, in the African-American community uh, in particular, uh, is that, that there could be a uh, paradigm shift from uh, Good Friday or that Passion Friday when Jesus is lynched. Uh, I mean, it, it, is, it is death. Um, and uh, it, is, it is death like, you know, uh, none other ha has seen. And, and my community, uh, African-Americans, we, we, we are stuck in Friday. Uh, we, yes, we celebrate, you know, the, you know, the, the fact that, yes, Jesus got up. If you, if you hear the African-American and, and uh, Baptist context uh, preaching, the, you know, uh, preaching Jesus getting up on Sunday morning, there's some very powerful things, exciting. And, you know, we crescendo there uh, very often. Uh, but as a people in particular, uh, we are yet stuck, even with the, advance, the modern advances, the modern, uh, well, all of the, 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 the progress that has been made uh, over the last uh, 50, 60 years to African, African American community. Uh, still, there's that that love where we're still hanging out on Friday. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, death surrounds us, and so there's this natural numbness to that. Uh, and so I, I pray that that on the other side of this Corona situation, uh, that that we somewhat somehow God is doing something uh, in the midst uh, that that is um, moving our minds away from just. Friday to actually believe in that 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 Sunday is reality that is here and now for us uh, that 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 Christ is risen and that um, that you know whereas we are in our tradition you know uh, I, I, even going back to the early state where I talked about the uh, older pastors not wanting to close their churches and uh, you know basically on the non-essential uh, argument uh, but on the other side of that. Uh, is that many of those pastors weren't going to close their churches because uh, the African-American church has always been the hub of our community uh, through the uh, civil rights, the slavery, when we couldn't worship, you know, uh, in, in, uh, you know in public. We, we went to the brush harbors uh, and, and we worshiped. We prayed our way through. We sung our way through. We, we worshiped when we were in the cotton fields. We, we sang praises. And, and, uh, and so that, that, that's how we got over um, and so, so there's that natural inclination of, for us to just kind of, you know, just kind of stay, stay, stay in, in that area to say, so church, church is essential, church is important. Uh, and uh, so, so we got to come together. And so finally, we're we ready to get back together. Let us do what we know to do. Let's pray. And, and uh, so that, that if, if we're not careful, we'll still find ourselves again, hanging in Friday because this disease is very critical. Um, so I'm hoping that there would be some kind of enlightenment uh, in, in, in our minds to say uh, beyond this thing that, that, that uh, uh, coronavirus has taught us the value of, of who Christ is. Um, uh, I hope that we learn not just African -American, the African-American community, but also the church universal. I hope that we learn from corona, the coronavirus of COVID-19 uh, that it that, that you know COVID nineteen it doesn't discriminate, it it doesn't discriminate. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't care about uh, poverty. It doesn't care about what race, what gender uh, you are. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, it's it's, it's not concerned whether you you gay or straight uh, for that matter. Um, so I hope that that the universal church beyond uh, this COVID nineteen this crisis that we can move into a place where well we we see that 
all of our brothers and sisters in the world are important, that we all made in, in, in the image of God. Um, my, my, the, I know I'm, I'm probably a bit too long here, but I'm going to try to say this and I'll shut it down. Uh, over the last 20 years, since 1998, uh, I have basically uh, been a part of two communities. From 1998, I, 1998, I, 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 I became the first African-American uh, who worked in uh, the maintenance department in Kirkland Clinic, uh, very first African-American in that department at UAB. Kirkland Clinton, UAB. And, um, and so those gentlemen who worked in that department, they, they had to make a shift in their minds as well as I had to make, make one in my mind. They were used to using uh, N-word uh, just frequently around each other. There was no one to just say, hey, we shouldn't do that. Uh, and all of a sudden there's this black guy, Kevin, who's there and now, okay, well, when they're about to say it and all of a sudden they look at, the, oh, that's Kevin there. Um, and so, and also I had to kind of, put off some of the the, the, the the anger and the frustration that I held for many years being raised in the black bed in West Alabama, which is one of the poorest uh, zip codes in the United States. Um, and so uh, I'm having to say, okay, not that develop tougher skin so that I'm not offended by every little statement or whatever the case. I moved from there, 98 on up into 2003, where I but began my theological studies at Southeastern Bible College, and I was a minority on that campus. So was on 280, then moved over to Valleydale, uh, and then finished that degree up and on on to Beeson. And so, where I've spent from 2007 up into just 2017, just on and off, I spent a lot of time in, in that on that campus in that community. So, uh, I, I've lived in in from '98 till now. It's like I've, I've, on one side of uh, the mountain. Uh, there's privilege. There, there's Christianity that, that uh, you know, is is sensitive to you know. It's, it has it's it's taking a front uh, 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 a front stand against uh, sexual immorality and and very many things that are, are very much of value to me uh, and to every Christian. On the other hand, on the other side, uh, in the community where I live, there there's uh, there are people who are more. Uh, taking a stand uh, more that deals more with okay well social justice or uh, 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 injustice and so and there are these two different christian camps um that, that that are fighting it out and battling it out and i think you know even as we you know in this this time where we are uh, you know uh, getting ready to elect a, a president uh, in november and so there's the tension between democrats and republicans that's been around for so long and, and that same tension uh, it's, it's, I've, I've lived in the middle of those two tensions in the churches. There, there's this right-wing wing Christianity uh, in one community, and there's this left-wing uh, Christianity in the other community. And the tension between those two are they're 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 massive. Uh, and I'm hoping that that this coronavirus thing, even as you've seen Democrats and Republicans begin to kind of think, to, you know, find some common ground, and it's still different distant ways apart. But can the church, can we universally come together and, and, and just kind of look at what are our core values are and what are the things that we have in common and, and, and let, us, let us make that thing uh, the most important thing so that, that, that we in these last days can win people to Christ. Mm -hmm. Sorry for the rambling. No, no, don't ever be sorry for that. Cameron, I'll, I'll give you the last word. And, and for those that are listening, uh, we've gone about an hour. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm so impressed uh, with these uh, group of, of God-fearing men. They're, they're leading, they're out in the front, they're, they're very thoughtful and reflective. I mean, this is the kind of Christian that um, I've always wanted to be around and surround and help other churches help develop 
these kind of Christians. So uh, please lift these guys up as they think through these issues, along with all the other pastor leaders uh, and all the leaders in every area uh, that are dealing uh, with this in one way or another. Um, it, it, thank you all so much for coming on. But Cameron, give me a give me something hope filled. Uh, you're the worship guy. You're always the guy that's always kind of got a smile on your face. Give us some hope. Uh, you know, lift us, lift us up, bring us to the throne. Uh, give us a word of encouragement, something that God has shown you through this that you actually think is a, is a really big positive. Well, I've been uh, going through first Peter with uh, very slowly with our congregation virtually as we go through this. And uh, one of the things that I was, that I've been reminded of weekly uh, through my studies is the, the exhortation to rejoice. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear it in Paul, you hear it in Peter, uh, to rejoice. Now they don't, they don't uh, look away from the struggles. They, they embrace the struggles. They say, you're going to go through struggles. This is the norm. And, and I'm always lured into thinking that struggles are abnormal, but over and over and over again, the Bible tells us this is the norm. You're going to have struggles in this life, but rejoice, rejoice. Jesus has overcome this world. Rejoice. These struggles are only going to last for a little while. Rejoice. And one of the things I just uh, looked at this week in First Peter 1, 6, it says, though necessarily for a little while, you will have to grieve these trials. And I was like, ah, it's okay for me to be sad. It's okay for me to experience grief. That's the norm when you face suffering. But even even because of that, even through the sufferings, rejoice, rejoice, there is hope. Uh, So I hope that, that that exhortation to rejoice, that it's okay to grieve, that it's okay to struggle, but we can still rejoice. I hope that's a word of hope. Well, thank you all so much for coming on. Thank you uh, for those who are, who are listening. Of course, this is uh, partly what my nonprofit was, was meant to do, was founded to do, was established to do. Uh, this is kind of in my wheelhouse. Uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed g- gathering like-minded people together, men and women, to think about these things deeply and significantly. Uh, if you want to know more, go to tacticalfaith.com. Uh, this won't be the last time that I try to get my guys together. Um, we're all over the place. And if I have to use this podcast to get my brothers together, uh, we'll do it. Thank you all for coming on. Thank you for the time. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, thank you for being the kind of Christians that you are. I love each and every one of you. And it's such a pleasure and a blessing to know uh, each and every one of you. And I pray for your families and uh, let me know if you need need anything from me. Uh, for those that would like to uh, get involved more with Tactical Faith, of course, go to our, our website. Email me at matt at tacticalfaith.com. Uh, for those of you out there right now that are, that are having issues, I pray for you. I pray for um, uh, your families. Uh, this is a trying time, but as we have heard, uh, we can still find hope. Uh, Friday was needed. Good Friday was needed, but we do have Sunday as we've been reminded. And the hope is that Christ is on his throne and he's there now as we speak and he was not caught surprised by this. Uh, so thank you for coming on and we will call, we will check you later. All right. Bye-bye.